This morning, we're going to be talking about something kind of fun. Uh, that's being a little sarcastic because we're talking about the sinful nature and the struggle between the flesh and what the Spirit says. Now, we are born with a sinful nature, with this sinful root at the core of us. And if you don't believe me, just look at children. All the parents start laughing. They know exactly what I'm talking about. At three to four months, you start to realize, wait a minute, I think my child has sinful nature in them. Uh, It seems like the minute we tell them, and by the way, I love my children, and they're wonderful, but they have sinful nature in them. The minute I tell them something to do, it seems like they're like, hmm, let's give it a try. We're not supposed to do it, so let's try. And and they they don't know why they think the way they do. They just do whatever they think. You know, they, they don't know why. They just, if they think it, they do it, and that's why they have parents and to help them figure out. And, and they, you know, you tell them, don't go on the road. It's gonna kill you if you go on the road. You know, well, Dad, I really wanna go on the road. Don't, trust me, it's gonna kill you if you go on the road. But I like the road, Dad. And, you know, you catch them out there touching the road, come back, it didn't kill me, Dad. It didn't, <laughs> sinful nature, sinful nature. And, and, then, and then, you know, they, they don't know the value of things. Like, you know, you buy your kid this beautiful Christmas present. You're like, oh, they're gonna love this. And they open it up, and immediately they start playing with the box that the gift was wrapped in. Like, excuse me? <laughs> and they're just sinful nature. They don't know the value of things. Whatever looks good, they just run out, and they just do. They don't understand the value, and... Uh, it, you know, their sinful nature comes out in very loud ways at times. You as parents know that, where they're screaming and they're yelling and they're running around, and you're like, that's sinful nature, very much at the core. And then their sinful nature also comes out at very quiet moments, when the house gets a little too quiet. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting there, and you know, I look at my wife, and I'm like, it's just too quiet around here. What are the kids doing? And you go downstairs and have all your board games all put in one pie with all the cards and pieces mixed up and, you know, how it works. And in the the classic, like, you tell them, don't hit people, you know. I want to hit people. No, you you can't hit people. And so, you know, like, why did you hit your sister? I told you not to hit your sister. Why did you hit her? Look, she's in pain. And then mom had to put the the baby down and the baby's crying now. And and mom's all upset and crying because, you know, your sister's crying. and, and, And I'm frustrated and so confused about all this chaos going up. Why are you putting everybody through pain? I don't, I don't feel what pain, dad. Sinful nature. All right, get the paddle, go into your room, I'll give you a personal invitation to this pain party we're all having. It's, it's crazy, but they, they just, you know, they're kids. They, they, don't, they don't understand it better, like, and that's why they have parents. We're, we're here to help them understand this is right, this is wrong, because their sinful nature is just the way they feel, the way they think. So this morning we're in the middle of a Galatians series talking about freedom, and we're coming to... Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So if you would get your Bibles out, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, go ahead and get your app opened up, and let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. You know, I think a lot of times we forget about the authority the Word of God has. We read it a lot, we study it, Um, but uh, sometimes I don't think we recognize that when we come and we read, like this is the authority of God's word in our life. So as a reminder of this, can we all stand together for the reading of God's word? 
out of reverence and out of honor for it. We're going to start at verse 16, and this morning we're going to cover 10 verses here. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. God, would you help these words become alive and active in our hearts today? Would you help us to leave this place changed, having known your truth and been reminded of how we should live by the Spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. All right, go ahead and flip to, we're staying in Galatians 5, but just flip to verse 1 here. Flip the page, go to verse 1. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This sums up Galatians, really, in a nutshell. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. I know it seems really simple, but it's actually very profound. Christ set you free in this room, set you free for freedom's sake. So stand firm in that freedom and don't fall back into the slavery that you once were in. Stay free. Now, you might be asking, well, free from what? What did Christ set me free from? Well, the the obvious is sin. Like when he died on the cross, it says free that we don't no longer have to pay the punishment or the shame and the guilt of sin. When you stand before God, you're, you're washed clean. What else did he set us free from? Well, it's not just something that for judgment day he set us free from. Currently, right now, he set us free to live the life that he desires for us, what we call real life. Everyone's kind of living life, but some people are walking as zombies, as dead. They think they're alive, but they really don't know that they're actually dead. And some people are walking in true life that God gives us. One is full of bondage and really reflects nothing of life. One is the exact life that God has desired for us with happiness and joy and peace and contentment in the midst of all the bad things going around us. And that's real life. So that's what he set us free to, is to set us free to live life the way he intended. Now, there's this battle that's raging. And verse 16 and 17 that we just read, that's the battle right there. This battle of the flesh and our and the desires of the spirit. Now, in order to understand this battle, we've got to understand both sides, right? You can't just, uh, without knowing who the enemy is, who the good guy is. I, I tell, tell David, we're watching football together, and he's always like, Dad, Dad, what, what colors do I cheer for? You know, he, he doesn't know. So we're, let's clearly, okay, there's the football field. There's two sides going. You cheer for the black and the yellow, you know. And we have to identify the sides. So we look, we look, at, we look at the sides, and we say, okay, this is who we're fighting against. And so as we look at the sides, um, we see the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. Now, let's talk about each side here a little bit. Desires of the flesh. Now, this is not our actual flesh, like our skin. 
um, this is the desires of the flesh, which would be our heart, our mind, the things that our flesh wants to do. At the core of our flesh is this. It's our ego. It's our pride. Wanting to be God, having our own power, having our own praise, the core of it is make me God and serve me. I know a lot of people who are living out of the flesh would never claim that, but if you boil it down to why they do what they do, it's because I don't want to follow authority and I want to do whatever I want to do. In other words, make me God. That's the core of the flesh. Now, who is the spirit that we're talking about? It would be the spirit of God, part of the Trinity. We have the Godhead, right? And then we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we serve one God, but there's three persons. It's extremely confusing. I still can't get my mind uh, wrapped around it. Someone told me it's like an egg, and you look at it. It's, it's really not like an egg. Someone, you know, they try to say it's like water. It's not really like water. It's like nothing we've ever experienced before, to be honest. It, it blows our mind to understand one God, three different persons. Um, but nevertheless, we know it's true because of Scripture. Um, and, and we don't understand always how it works, but we understand it's true. And the Holy Spirit is the part of God that is in us. The God who, when we're, when we're struggling, gives us comfort. The part of God that when we're searching for answers, gives us vision of where to go. The, the God that when you're reading scripture and you're like, the words come to life and start really penetrating your heart, you're like, wow, that was just for me. That's the Holy Spirit, part of God in you, working to help you understand uh, where he wants you, his purposes, his desires for you, and what he wants you to learn. And today as I preach, and I hope every time you hear a sermon that you're constantly praying in your heart, like, God, uh, Holy Spirit, what do you have in store for me from this scripture? How, can, how do you want me to change my life or become more like you with this truth? Um, so I hope you're doing that today. I'm definitely doing that for you and for myself uh, today. So this war is raging between the desires of the flesh, the desires of the spirit. They're at conflict uh, with each other. And the first thing you need to realize this morning is that wake up. You're in a war. I think we so often forget this. So often we don't understand as we go about our lives that we are being shot at. We, are, we have an active enemy who is trying to destroy us, our sinful nature. And guess who's the commander of the sinful nature army? It's Satan himself trying to destroy us. How stupid would it be for a soldier in military combat behind his barricades suddenly decide, as he's, as he's ducking behind, suddenly decides, you know what, guys, I'm kind of tired of ducking. I'm kind of tired of crouching here. I'm going to get up, find me a local pizza shop, and get me a slice of some pepperoni. Like, how stupid would that be? If, as he stands up, I'm sure his fellow soldiers and comrades would pull him down and say, wait a minute, man. Do you forget? We're in a war. There ain't no local pizza shop. We're being shot at. You stand up, you die. Shake out of it. But how often would we as Christians we do the same thing when we get up and just kind of do our own thing and we forget that we are in an intense, invisible war that is going on? And if we forget we're in a war, how are we going to fight it? If we forget that there's two sides raging at war, with our freedom at stake, we aren't going to fight it. How often do you wake up in the morning you're like, okay, I'm in a war. Fight hard. In a war, stay focused. I'm in a war. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting sin to try to grab my heart today. I'm expecting sin to try to lead me astray. I'm expecting that. I'm buckling up. I'm putting some armor on. How often do we do that? Or do we just become so wrapped up in our daily lives that we forget the obvious that you are being shot at and you are in this war? We have to realize how to fight this battle. 
So let's start with God. God is always good. His nature is perfect. He doesn't need to wake up in the morning and say, God, have a good day today. Like, he's perfect. He, he always has a good day. Um, and he, and he's, it's just in his nature. It's, it's his, he's naturally perfectly good. We are not. At the root of us, remember the kids? Yeah, we all were kids at one point in time. At the root of, it, of us, we are sinful at nature, desiring glory for ourselves, desiring power for ourselves. That's the root of us. And we, well, the whole New Testament stands in constant reminder of our depravity and the way we just fail and fail and fail and our desires to want to glorify ourselves. Do a little test on yourself this morning. Do you naturally and spontaneously humble yourself and serve others joyfully? Is that your natural response? If you're anything like me, you're probably going to say, no, that's not my natural. If I just let myself do whatever I want to do, I wouldn't find myself humbly serving others joyfully. Um, Because of our sinful nature, our flesh. And because of that, we need a list of do's and don'ts. How else are we supposed to know what's right and what's wrong? We need a list of do's and don'ts. And that's why God gave us the law. But the problem here is there's a big danger with the law. Instead of allowing this list of do's and don'ts to lead us to seek transformation, showing us that the root of our nature, our core nature is not good and that depravity needs to be transformed, we so often use this list, use the law to actually feed our pride and to feed our self-sufficiency by saying, I'll try hard to do all these noble things and gain God's favor for the good attention of God and other men. And we turn it around, the exact thing that's supposed to show us is wrong, we actually feed by following the law. We're saying, hey, you know, I can do this. It just, you know, it, it feeds our depravity, totally misses the whole purpose of the law. And this just shows, again, that the root of us is wrong. Now, if you've been trekking with us through the Galatians series, you already know that this is the exact problem that the church of Galatia had that Paul was trying to address, saying, you're, you're, mis, you're mishandling the law. Like, it was there to show you that the core nature of who you are is bad, and you need transformation. And they were like, eh, I'll try to follow this to get the good attention of God and others. You see, the law can save us. And will definitely not give us freedom in life. It's, it's only through faith in Christ that you actually receive the, the saving grace that we look for. And so this battle goes on about, with the desires of the flesh, the enemy. And Paul immediately, starting in verse 16, he immediately gives us the winning strategy here. So here we go, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, do you realize this is not two commands? It's not walk by the spirits, don't gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a command followed by a promise. And that's really important that we understand this. The command is walk by the spirit. And then it follows the promise that says, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Saying if you walk by the spirit of God, if you follow the spirit's leading, those fleshy desires that are coming at you, you won't gratify them. You'll actually push them. You'll crucify them. You'll push them away. You see, guys, the life of a Christian is a struggle. And I hope you understand that as I stand up here preaching this, I do it with extreme humility. 
I'm not up here teaching and preaching because I've accomplished all these things and need to get you guys to do them. Not at all. I'm with you. When I say the Christian life is a struggle, I'm with you. I struggle every day. Your, your pastors fail a lot. Dwayne and I talk about this a lot. We fail a lot. And, and obviously we're not proud of it, but it's something that we continually try to follow the Spirit in. But there's this war and there's a struggle that happens. And until we get to heaven, until we either, or Christ returns, um, there's going to be the struggle. If you're sitting here thinking that, well, good Christians or real Christians don't struggle, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You know what's actually more dangerous than struggling? Is not struggling. Think about that. If you're a Christian and you don't struggle with this war between the flesh and following the Spirit, that probably means that the flesh is just reigning freely and there's no struggle at all and you're doing whatever you want to do which leads to death and that is way more dangerous than being a Christian who struggles. Does that make sense? I, uh, I like graduation ceremonies. They're great. I love to see my kids, you know, graduate high school. As a youth pastor, I go to a lot of graduation ceremonies. But there's one thing that bothers me so much when I go to these ceremonies. There's, it never fails. There's always at least one speaker who gives this incredibly awful advice. And I'm sure you've all heard it before. They get up there, and graduates, follow your heart. It's true. Now, once, you, once I started looking for it, I, I found it everywhere. You know, may your dreams be big and way beyond yourself, and follow your heart. Wherever your heart leads, go with it. Follow it. You talk about the worst advice you can give to a young person ready to hit the world. The worst advice would be, Follow your heart. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful. It can't be cured. We're fighting the heart. We're fighting the flesh. We can't follow it. And I understand these speakers, I mean, they have good intention. I'm not trying to be malicious against them or anything. But that is the worst advice you could tell somebody is to follow their heart. And so this Struggle rages on. And God is saying, look, I got a plan for you. I got a purpose for you. And the flesh is saying, no, 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 come over here. This is better. This is shinier. This is a big box. You're going to want to get in it and play with it. And God's like, I got way better stuff in store for you over here. Come over here. And it's this constant battle. And sometimes we get out of perspective and we look at God and we're like, God, I don't think you quite see it right. I don't think you're quite making the right call because this feels right. It feels right for me to love this person. It feels right for me to walk in these ways. It feels right for me to do these things. It feels right for me to get angry. It feels right for me to do, act this way. This feels right. And God's saying, no, nah, I, got, I got something else for you. And, and we get our perspective gets skewed. I, I went to an Indians game the other day with the youth group. Longest game of my life. Started at 7, didn't get done until 12.30. I was, okay, okay I like baseball. Baseball is fun. Um, especially, you know, I'm sitting on my favorite couch, got my woman beside me, got my cold pop and some popcorn, and I'm watching, I'm zoomed in cameras, you know, to see the plays and this commentary talking to me so I don't get lost. I like that. But that's not the situation. I'm sitting in the stadium on a metal seat with a $4 hot dog. Yes. And there's little ants running around in the field from my 108 section perspective. 
Um, so he's a little answer running around, we're watching, we're cheering, I got beer spilled on me, and I'm not having the best of attitude, but whatever, I'm watching, and I'm having fun with the youth, the youth are fun, so I'm enjoying that part, but the game, I'm like, oh my goodness, please somebody get out, we need the scene to end. Uh, and so, but what's happening here is the Indians, they hit to the outfield, and it bounces, the guy grabs it, throws it in to first as the guy's running in, and uh, it's a close play. I mean, it's so close. And the official says, he's out. And everybody in section 108 stands up and is like, what? Are you serious? How could he be out? It's so obvious he was safe. So obvious he was safe. What in the world? How could this be happening? Official, you made a bad call. You made a bad call. Get some glasses. Because something's wrong here. You made a bad call. Now, understand, I'm being a little facetious here and I'm not having the best of time. And I'm here thinking, are you serious? Let me get this straight. We're in section 108 with a roof over our head. We can't even see the replay screen. Those are little ants out in the field running around. And you have a trained professional official standing two feet from the plate who's intensely watching the scene. And you have the audacity to think that somehow your 108 section call was better than the one of the trained professional right here. <laughs> Some of you guys will laugh because like I was, I was in that section too, Keith. <laughs> and I'm being a little facetious, but seriously, think of the logic there. Like, do you honestly think you can just say, that was a bad call with confidence when you're in section 108 to the trained official? It makes no sense. And it made me think about God. How many times do I look at God and I say, God, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's a bad call. And it's so hard for me to follow you because you're doing all these bad calls when God is like, listen, I'm outside of time. I know the future. I know the past. I know everything. I know what brings freedom. And I know what takes it away. Walk in my ways. You will have freedom. God doesn't make wrong calls. When our freedom is at stake, God gets pretty heated in the battle. He's like, I want to see you freedom. It was for freedom that I set you free. The cross was there to set you free. Don't fall back in what you became free from. Paul gives us a good picture of this struggle. Let's go to verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the picture. They're opposed. They're, they're raging at war inside. You're a struggling Christian with two sides coming out, the side of the flesh, desires of the spirit. Let's go to verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And Paul goes to say, listen, I want you to help understand the struggle. Because how do you know if you're winning the struggle or not? Who's actually ruling? Is the flesh ruling or is, it, or is the spirit ruling? I'm gonna to start to give you some evidences of the flesh. And he starts to name for the church the evidences of the flesh. Here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this can get us a little confused because we say, wait, is Paul changing his message? Is this a works-based salvation now? That we just don't do bad things and then we're saved? Is that what he's saying? And no, that's absolutely not correct. Everything Paul said before in Galatians 
still stands that you are not saved by your own works. It's a free gift in Jesus Christ. But what he's showing here is asking, is God actually reigning in your life? Because if you do believe, and if you believe who God really is and have faith in him, he will transform you. And so we do need to look at the evidence, not that that saves us, but we do need to look at the evidence of our actions to see if God is ruling in our life or if we've totally given in to the flesh, having lost all the freedom that he originally gave us when he saved us. Now, it's interesting, Paul calls this the works of the flesh. It threw me for a little bit of a loop when I was studying this week because I was like, wait a minute, the works of the flesh? I thought they came pretty natural. Like, I don't have to really work to uh, the flesh. Like, that's what comes natural. I gotta work to, like, not do the flesh. Um, And then uh, I was studying John Piper a little bit. He has a lot of thoughts on this passage. And he helped me understand that when we say works of the flesh, what Paul's trying to show is that all these things of the flesh work towards a common goal. And the common goal is to gratify our ego and our pride. So when he says the works of the flesh are evident in these ways, what he's saying is all your flesh is working towards this. And it's to show your ego and your pride at the core. Let's, let's look at a few of these. We're not going to go over the whole list, but let's look at a few of these. Uh, sexual morality. What's the core of sexual morality? It's saying I can do whatever I want with my body. You can't tell me how to treat my body. It's my body. Me, me, I, I want to do what I want with it. That's the core of it, idolatry. I can spend my time how I want to spend my time. Don't tell me how to spend my time. It's what I want to do. It's my time. It was given to me. I'm going to spend it any way I want. Me, making me God. Look at uh, jealousy. You can't have that. Are you serious? That's mine. I should be getting that. You owe me. That should have been mine. I'm jealous because I deserve that and I didn't get it. Fits of anger. You wronged me. You're not treating me the way you're supposed to be treating me. You're not doing what I want you to do. And remember, it's all about me. And so we get angry and we throw fits of anger. And uh, many of these things came home for me when I was studying. And I realized I had flashbacks of growing up. And one of the things of growing up is I, I was incredibly an angry young man. Some of you know my story. I'm not going to go into it, but I was incredibly angry. Would throw things, go into fits of anger. Nobody could calm me down. My, my parents would, would freak out because I would just go completely ballistic and just uh, run, at, and I would yell, and I would scream and throw myself on the floor. And, and they're like, what is going on with this guy? And I remember my mom telling me, saying, look, Keith, I don't think you're ever going to change because it would even scare me. And she's like, Keith, I don't think you're ever going to change until... Like the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life and changes you. She's like, it's just, and, and the thing about it was, I was not doing that because I was abused as a child, I was wronged as a child, or lived in this horrible family situation. The core of me was wrong. That's why I did those things. My flesh, I was living out of the flesh. And that's why I was doing those things. It wasn't a crutch of, oh, well, I was, you know, hurt or abused or all this stuff. It was just my sinful nature was coming through. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He showed me the spirit. He showed me freedom. He showed me salvation. He somehow got through and revealed himself to me. And I started following his leading. He started drastically transforming and changing my life. I'm way different than I am today thanks to God. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's struggle. I'm with you. I'm still struggling. But boy, am I transformed. I'm way different than I was. Let me tell you something. 
when the Spirit, well, let me tell you what the Spirit brings into your life. Good, juicy, fresh fruit. Now look at the comparison here. You have the desires of the flesh. Work, work harder, work. Not that they come, you have to work for them. They all come natural, but it's saying, this doesn't satisfy us to try this. This doesn't satisfy us to try this. This doesn't satisfy us to try this. And those of you involved in alcohol and drugs and pornography, you know what I'm talking about. Nothing satisfies. More, 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 more. And then at the end of the day, you're still empty compared to the comparison of fruit, fresh fruit. Nothing you had to work for. It was something that was, it was an outcome. It was given to you. It's just something that happens. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand that it's not a goal. It's a gauge. This is really important. The fruit of the Spirit is not a goal. If you turn the fruit of the Spirit into a goal of something you're trying to obtain, you're trying to be more loving, you're trying to be more patient, you're trying to be more faithful, you're trying to be more good, all you're doing is heaping burdens on yourself and you will lose the freedom that you think you're fighting for. You will actually become bound by your own. And if you think about it, what's the core of I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to? The core of that is still you're feeding the flesh. The core is still I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be better. And I think so often we heap burdens on each other when we're like, I'm not very loving. We'll try to be more loving. Okay, I'll try to be more loving. I don't, I'm, I'm just really struggling with being good. Try to be more good. Okay, I'll, I'll, try, to, I'll try to be more good. And we heap burdens on each other. It's not a goal of something we're trying to accomplish. It's a gauge. Paul's saying, do you have the Spirit in your life? And if you have the Spirit, here's some ways of knowing that, of being confident in that. A gauge to let you know whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. See, this view of the Holy Spirit is a goal of something that should be obtaining, that will not lead to freedom. It will actually lead to legalism. You somehow think you can attain these things if you try hard enough. And you'll become very legalistic in your faith. But if you want the fruit of the Spirit, get the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Have the Spirit inside of you. And you will get the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're sitting here wondering, well, am I actually walking through, walking in the Spirit? Let's check the gauge. Does God really reign in my life, or am I, is the flesh winning right now? Let's look at the gauge here. Let's look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Is that a characteristic of your life? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. That's a really unique phrase at the end. This, against such things there is no law. What, that, what Paul is saying is saying, look, actually, if you have the Spirit in your life and the fruit's coming out, you will actually be following the law. There's no law against this. You'll actually be living out the law, which shows that now the core of us, this was sinful nature, has been transformed into now the core of us is the spirit inside of us. We died to ourselves, we're now with the spirit, and now we're actually living out the law, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You actually are doing this now, not on your own strength, but because you've been transformed and changed. John 15 uh, verse five, I wanna read this passage. It's up here on the screen. I wanna read this passage to you because it really helps us understand this concept of fruit. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's not how you become the disciples, it's you prove that you are the disciples. The fruit of the Spirit's not a goal, it's a gauge to whether we have the Spirit. And God is so, trans, or so glorified when he sees transformed lives bearing his fruit. Let's go to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we belong to Christ Jesus, what we should be doing, this struggle that we happen, we should be constantly trying to push away and crucify the desires of the flesh, that rage. Do this, do that. And when we know the truth of God's word, we then can identify the spirit and know how to live in the spirit and we can crucify and push those things away. I wish that when we would crucify them, they would stay dead and don't completely understand this concept. But somehow, when we crucify our fleshly desires, they still somehow creep in. Probably because we still live in the world, I imagine. They just keep kind of creeping in. We have to continually die to ourselves. Let's go to Galatians uh, uh, tw- uh, verse 25, 5 verse 25 here. We'll read our uh, last two verses for this morning. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So keeping in step is this constant following, constant being aware of the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing, this intense focus on Him, and not so that we don't become conceited and think that it's us. Because sometimes what happens is I think God does work in our life. We see the fruit and we're like, oh, look at me. I'm actually like doing good stuff now. And we immediately then become conceited and fall right back into our sinful nature. And God's saying, look, don't become conceited, provoking one another, having, being envious towards one another. Like, remember, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, so even when you do good things, you know where to give the credit to. This intense focus, guys, it's, it's this lifestyle of, of knowing this is truth, and this is the Spirit, and it only comes from spending countless hours in His Word, loving Him, resting in His promises. Let me tell you something. When I say fight hard for freedom, you know what I'm actually saying? Get this this morning. What I'm actually saying is rest in Christ. Rest in His promises. Believe in him. Believe. And that's fighting. It's resting. It's this weird, uh, weird thing how God works. They come to me, all you who are weary, rest in me, believe in me. And so the way we fight this is we actually believe in Christ. And we read his word. And we say, God, come in me. Transform me. Give me direction. What am I doing? Countless hours of his intense and focus on God, his spirit. And as we do that, like verse 16 says, suddenly the things of this world will start to become a little dim. Will start to fade away. Suddenly our heart is being transformed. That we actually start desiring the things of God. And our heart, that reduced the desire of the flesh, is becoming more and more despicable, where we don't even want those things anymore. It's the, 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 the word for it is sanctification. It's the process of becoming more holy, becoming more like God. If you are living according to the flesh, life is going to be so 
uh, hard for you. And it's going to be, you're going to be in prison. You're going to try more and more to get more glory, get more fame, get more people like you, more people this, more people that. Try to please more people. And it's just going to be something that leads to, ultimately leads to death and will not be a life of freedom. Not near the life God had in store for you. But he said, if you come to the maker who created you and you rest in him and you believe his promises and you study his word so you know truth and you passionately, wholeheartedly seek him, he said, I'll direct your path. I'll guide you. And you will start to see the fruit of the Spirit coming out in you. And it's going to be refreshing. Good. Not easy. I didn't say easy. But good life. And you will find freedom. You will find true freedom. And as you walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't just walk with the Spirit and then go do your own thing. Today, can we start today? I know, I know this is something we're all trying to do and I want to remind everybody of this morning, but can we today, can we take our eyes off the world and realize that we're just being sold lies and it doesn't bring us freedom, it doesn't bring us hope, it doesn't bring us happiness, it doesn't bring us joy, but all those things are the fruit of the Spirit. And if we get the Spirit, those things that we're looking for, the freedom we're searching for, the life we're looking for, we are gonna find in the Spirit. And even through the most difficult situations you go through, with the Spirit guiding you and the Spirit giving you strength, that you can face all things with hope and with joy. And the world's going to look at you and be like, wow, you're different. You are different. I want freedom, and you have it. Where do you get freedom? And you can say it's through the Spirit, through God himself, God in me. So today I say fight hard for your freedom. Understand you're in a war. Wake up. Realize you're in a war. Today you will be attacked. Satan is going to try to bring the flesh. Your, your natural nature is going to try to bring the flesh back into your life. I say fight it. Fight it hard by resting in the Spirit. Spending time in his word. Learn truth so you can recognize lies. Have God in you. Start to transform you and change you. I say today's the day we start. And it takes extreme discipline. It takes extreme, and that's why I call it fighting. It takes extreme effort to know the promises of God and rest in them. It's a constant crucifying the flesh and following the Spirit. But as you follow the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. 